welcome to the first episode of the Wine of Life podcast. I'm Wes. Uh, tonight, uh, the tonight's episode is going to be titled um, "A Fragment of Truth." We're going to be looking at Soren Kierkegaard, not his whole corpus or um, all of his ideas, but just his idea of truth. And um, we're going to be going over several uh, texts that he wrote, or just two of them, and then, and then obviously we're going to use scripture as well. He was a Christian philosopher out of Copenhagen, Denmark. He was born in 1813, died in 1855, and uh, he had an unusual way of writing. He, he loved to use pseudonyms and um, write from different perspectives. Uh, so he would be a Christian in one, he would not be a Christian in another. He would be asking certain questions um, from different points of view. Uh, tonight, we're going to be looking at two of his texts here. One of them is going to be uh, Training in Christianity. Um, his explicitly Christian texts, he used his own uh, name for those. So that was written by Kierkegaard. But this one is the other one, concluding um, Unscientific Postscript to Philosophical Fragments. And um, this one uh, he used a pseudonym for. And he liked doing that, and I'm going to read why. He discusses it at the end. This was written by one he called um, Johannes Climacus. And um, I'm going to go to the end here where he discusses uh, why he did this. This is what he says. What has been written then is mine, but only in so far as I, by means of audible lines, have placed the life view of the creating, poetically, actual individuality in his mouth. For my relation is even more remote than that of a poet who poeticizes characters and yet in the preface of uh, in the preface is himself the author. That is, I am impersonally or personally in the third person a prompter who has poetically produced the authors whose prefaces in turn are their productions as their name also. Thus in the pseudonymous books there is not a single word by me. I have no opinion about them except as a third party no knowledge of their meaning except as a reader, uh, not the remotest private relation to them, since it is impossible to have that to a doubly reflected communication. So um, he does not consider the ideas necessarily to be from himself. Uh, uh, how that works is he wrote through what he called double reflection. And um, double reflection is... Uh, is complicated, I think. We're going to talk about how he viewed uh, Christ's idea of indirect communication um, in this uh, training in Christianity. He says that indirect communication requires faith, can be demonstrated very simply in the case of a purely human relationship. If only it be remembered that faith in the most eminent sense has to do with the God-man. So the God-man being Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ uh, was somebody who could not directly discuss himself as being God because that was offensive to man because God was not supposed to be man. He was supposed to be higher than man. Uh, but also it was would be offensive the other way, be offensive to God if man said that he was God. And so um, there's this idea of indirect communication and double reflection, and um, that is one way that he viewed it, um, that because... Um, the God-man, the paradox of the incarnation, uh, could not 
directly state who he was because he had to elicit faith in the people that he spoke to. Therefore, he spoke in a way that was indirect. Um, the other way of indirect communication that he discusses in philosophical uh, fragments is, um, is via this idea of double reflection. So um, let's say you wanted to um, eat something. You would think about the consequences of eating that particular type of food. Um, and then later, you would think about the consequences of you eating any sort of type of food. You know, if you ate uh, something greasy, that could be bad for you. And then you think a multitude of other types of food could also be bad for you. So there's this double reflection and this indirect uh, way that you think about food, which is kind of ridiculous, but it separates you from the specifics of the food that you were talking about in the first place. So, you know, chocolate is bad for you. When After you ate the chocolate, you think chocolate's bad for you. You then move uh, to the next point of saying, a multitude of foods could be bad for you. So you've removed yourself from the particular of the chocolate and you're thinking about food in general. That is how Kierkegaard tried to write. He, he removed himself from the particulars of the questions he was asking. And in the philosophical fragments, and by the way, we're using Howard and Edna Hong's um, translation from the, the Princeton series they put out. Um, but in this regard, this was a person who was not a Christian, um, this Climacus uh, character he wrote in, but was a person um, who was a humorist. Um, but then again, since it's an indirect communication, is it a joke that he was actually humorous? Maybe he wasn't a humorist at all. It doesn't really matter. But he's asking the question, how do I become a Christian? And so he starts discussing truth, and that's where we get into the first idea of truth that he discusses, which is that truth is subjectivity. Uh, not that truth is subjective, but that truth is something that must be lived out. It is not enough to simply have a set of objective facts in front of someone, and they know those facts, and they think about those facts. Um, they have to take those facts on board and um, actually live them out in an inward way. And he discusses this a lot that Christianity is the ultimate um, expression of subjectivity. It is not a doctrine, but an existence uh, communication. And so I'm going to read some definitions of how he puts this together here. We'll start with what truth is. Um, when subjectivity is truth, the definition of truth must also contain in itself an expression of the antithesis to objectivity, a memento of that fork in the road, and this expression will at the same time indicate the resilience of the inwardness. Here is such a definition of truth, an objective uncertainty held fast through appropriation with the most passionate inwardness is the truth, the highest truth there is for an existing person. So truth ultimately holds back a certain amount of objective uncertainty that you it has to do with possibility rather than actuality, that you don't know um, necessarily what's going to happen or why it's going to happen, but that you undertake um, that task uh, in, a, in a completely inward way. You have complete faith um, in a particular object, and, and you believe that that faith is going to get you through. And for Kierkegaard, Christianity was that faith. He believed that, that faith in the incarnation of Jesus Christ 
uh, was the way ultimately to live out um, a pure or true expression of life. It was only found in Christ. Uh, so this is how he then describes faith in relation to that definition of truth. But the definition of truth as stated above is a paraphrasing of faith. Without risk, no faith. Faith is the contradiction between the infinite passion of inwardness and the objective uncertainty. If I am able to apprehend God objectively, I do not have faith. But because I cannot do this, I must have faith. If I want to keep myself in faith, I must continually see to it that I hold fast the objective uncertainty. See to it that in the objective uncertainty, I am out on 70,000 fathoms of water and still have faith. So it kind of goes back to Paul discussing that we walk by faith, not by sight. Now, there will be a day when we will be able to live by sight. There will be a day when we will see Christ uh, face to face and we will be as he is. Uh, but that day is not yet. And uh, I think this holds um, very important when we read things like uh, the book of James, for instance. Um, in James one twenty two through 25, it says this, But be ye doers of the word. Not hears only, deceiving your own selves. So simply knowing the word of God, going to church, hearing the word of God is not enough, according to the Bible. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholds himself and goes his way and straightway forgets what manner of man he was. So when we're discussing this, this has to do with how Kierkegaard um, really criticized uh, the idea of speculative thought, um, particularly from he lived in a time when the Hegelians were a big deal at the time, and they were trying to make philosophy into a science, which um, Kierkegaard totally disagreed with. But this is what Scripture tells us. But whoso looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deeds. So it is imperative that we do the things uh, that the Word of God tells us, that we don't simply um, memorize them, that we don't simply know what they say, that we actually take them to heart and do them. This is what Christ says in Matthew seven twenty four. Therefore, whosoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that hears these sayings of mine and does them not shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Um, so not doing the word, of, the word of God, simply knowing it or hearing it um, is not enough scripturally. And Kierkegaard, this is a big deal for Kierkegaard because the way the Danish state church uh, ran, you basically, if you were a Danish person, um, you would be considered a Christian. You could call yourself a Christian. Um, we kind of have that issue here today. If you're, uh, you know, an American and you happen to go to church or you're raised in church, you can, um, you know, justifiably consider yourself a Christian in our culture. Uh, that simply is not what Christianity is. That's not what it's about. Um, it's about challenging you. It's about making you a new person in Christ. Uh, and the way that that's done is is accepting who he is, accepting what his word says, and then doing it um, by faith and understanding that um, 
Christ died for you for your sins to make you a new person uh, in order to glorify him. Um, so just simply knowing things is not the purpose of Christianity. You're not just supposed to know um, that the Bible says X, Y, and Z. You're supposed to do it. And Kierkegaard was trying to push this through. And I'm going to read um, next about this idea about Christianity not being a doctrine, because some people uh, criticize the way that he goes about describing um, Christianity and how we know things, particularly with regards to people considering him the father of um, existentialism. But um, they think it led to some atheism, or it led to um, some other ideas in things like neo-orthodoxy, but um, I don't really hold those opinion as much, and, and I'll get to that maybe in another another podcast, but this is what he says about this. Christianity is not a doctrine, but it expresses an existence uh, contradiction and is an existence communication. If Christianity were a doctrine, it would aopso not constitute the opposite of speculative thought, but would be an element within it. Christianity pertains to existence, to existing, but existence and existing are the very opposite of speculation. So living is different than simply uh, knowing something and thinking about it. Uh, the Eladic doctrine, for example, is not related to existing but to speculation. Therefore, it must be assigned its place within speculation precisely because Christianity is not a doctrine, it holds true as developed previously, that there is an enormous difference between knowing what Christianity is and being a Christian. With regard to a doctrine, this distinction is unthinkable because the doctrine is not related to existing. I cannot help it that our age has reversed the relation and changed Christianity into a philosophical theory that is to be comprehended and being a Christian into something negligible. Furthermore, to say that Christianity is empty of content because it is not, not a doctrine is also chicanery. When a believer exists in faith, his existence has enormous content, but not in the sense of a yielding paragraph. So it does have content. There are things that you have to believe. And um, and one day I'll get into um, some of his psychological works where he talks about Christiani uh, Christian dogmatics. Um, there are things we have to dogmatically hold, um, but those things are not there simply to be known. There are things to be lived out. Christianity is about existing. It's about living. Uh, God uh, sent his son in the flesh as a man to live before us, to live as a subject so that we could uh, look at him. We could use him as an example. He also allowed himself to be judged. He allowed himself to be questioned. And uh, ultimately, he allowed himself. He sent himself to the cross. He went to the cross himself willingly, according to um you know, Mark ten forty five, where he says he came to be a ransom for all people. So um, Christianity is an existence, and that is example in the life of Christ. He came and existed before us in order uh, to show us how we are supposed to live and to be that sacrifice for our sins because of the, of the sin nature that we possess because of the fall. So I think that these ideas that Kierkegaard put forward are really important. I think that the truth uh, is subjectivity with regards to Christianity because we are subjects and God came as a subject. You know, the very idea of him saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. He's declaring himself uh, to be the subject. 
He's the subject in that statement. He is truth. That we we base all of our truth on him. Now there is an objective reality that we believe in, but the reason we believe in it is so that we can live after it. We are supposed to live uh, in a way that is Christ-like, in a way um, that shows that we have been changed, and in a way that also would hopefully change other people. Um, the main goal of Kierkegaard in this, what he believed his calling was, was to reintroduce Christianity into Christendom. Uh, he believed that um, there was just this sort of empty shell of the church that existed at the time where people just got together, they came and they did all of the things you're supposed to do on a Sunday, they said all the right words, and then they walked out. And so there were Christians maybe on Sunday, but they they weren't, weren't really uh, Christians in the biblical sense that they had faith at all. Um, they didn't understand what Christ being the truth really was. Now, there are obviously um, critics of his. Um, there were critics, serious critics of his at the time. There have been critics uh, since because of um, his focus on um, the existential aspect of Christianity. And that's upset some people um, because of the way that he comes to his conclusions. Um, he wouldn't necessarily use a sort of evidentialist based idea of Christianity in the same way that maybe some uh, conservative pastors of our day would. But the conclusions are ultimately the same. And I think that um, we do have to realize that there is some sort of leap with regards to how we have faith and how we understand what truth is. There isn't an infinite regression of evidence that will lead you to uh, a beginning, that will lead you to a particular conclusion. Um, if you're going to have faith in anything, you are taping, taking a leap. And he came up with this idea of the leap of faith, and we'll talk about that in another um, episode where we just kind of focus on faith. But I just wanted to start out with this one. Um, he, Kierkegaard is just a very big influence on me. I think that he could be, if read in the right context, he could be, um, he's, he's been a big uh, influence on people in philosophy, but I think if we brought him back into the church uh, and read him from the perspective of what he's challenging us with, to, uh, challenging us to try and live in a way that is Christ-like, to, to push us to understand um, why God revealed the Word in the way that he did, um, we've taken it into, um, you know, being able to state uh, by rote these particular type of doctrines. And if we state those doctrines correctly, people will say, well, he's saved. Uh, but think about somebody like Judas Iscariot. Uh, Judas Iscariot um, was uh, allowed to go out and perform miracles. He preached. Uh, there is no claim that he preached wrong doctrine anywhere. But Judas Iscariot went to his own place. Uh, he never made Jesus his Lord. He walked with him. He hung out with him. He ate with him. He preached to people. It says he even performed miracles. But he never made Jesus his Lord, and ultimately he ended up uh, betraying him for the sake of money. So he always had other types of motives. He never fully took on um, Christ in an existential way, it didn't, you know, it, he didn't take it into his own existence. He had other motives for why he was doing what he did, and we know that he stole money as well from the, from the treasury of, of the apostles. But um, doctrine is important. Obviously, we need to have the right doctrine, but we need to be able to live by it. And I think that's one of the big issues in Christianity today. Um, 
we are letting down uh, the world as such uh, because we are not living up to the things that we say other people should live up to. Um, and uh, I think that's evidenced by the high-profile scandals that we've seen in recent times. So I just wanted to start off this first podcast discussing Kierkegaard and why it's important to me, why I think he should be important to the the church as we move forward. Um, and his initial, uh, you know, this isn't in-depth or anything, but it's just his initial idea of truth as subjectivity um, and how that relates to Christianity as a um, existence communication, as he would say. So uh, thank you for listening to the first ever Wine of Life podcast, and uh, we'll see you later.